Jesus' name. You know, you work so hard to get something like this going on and you just don't want to mess with it, you know. God can do more in a moment than we can do with all of our preaching and singing and all of our, in a moment. Praise God. Praise God. This is what it says in the book of Acts chapter 1. That you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus' name. So I'm going to use one word, both. Both. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. Hallelujah. This is uh, the master plan of Jesus. And um, Jerusalem, that was their community. Those are the people that they knew. Judea, that's their country. Jerusalem was in Judea. Those are not just people they knew, but those are people that did speak the same language, had the same customs, lived in the same environment, under the same government. This would be their first trial at reaching people they didn't know. They knew their community, but they didn't know everybody in their country. This is where Spirit was going to have to direct them to meet strangers, getting used to different situations. How are we ever going to reach anybody else's country if we're not good at reaching our own? Saul and Barnabas were the first ones that I can find. They got really good at reaching the Jews. Then God used them to reach the Gentiles. Then it says Samaria... Years ago, the Assyrians came into Israel and they left an occupation army in place. In time, the Jewish girls began to marry Assyrian soldiers. It produced this subculture of people called Samaritans. Jews hated them. They considered them people that had sold out, considered them half-breeds. But Now, this is not their country. This is another country. It's foreign. They're they're not very familiar with it. And if you know your Bible, none of the 12 were willing to make the first move. Fascinating study in the book of Acts. Widows, Greek widows were complaining that the Jewish widows were getting the best cuts of meat They were getting taken care of first. You're biased, you're prejudiced, you're taking care of them. So it says they chose seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. If you'll take the time to study those seven names of those men, 
Not one of those names is a Jewish name. Every one of those names is a Greek name. They literally stacked the deck to make sure that those seven elders had lots of understanding about the Greek widows. Finally, you know, Philip. Philip's not one of the original 12, but Philip, it said, went down to Samaria. And after a great revival broke out, he called for Peter to come down into Samaria. And last, the uttermost. So Acts 1 and 8, you know, every book that you read has an index in the front. Acts 1 and 8 is an index of what's going to happen in the next 28 chapters. Because in Acts 1 through 7, it's all Jews. It's all Jerusalem. Why would you want to leave that church? His mom went to that church. Lazarus went to that church. Bartimaeus and others went to that church. It had to be a great church. Those apostles were there. I don't blame those people for not wanting to leave that church. But in Acts chapter 8, there was a great revival at Samaria. And most people will say that uh, the first Gentile was Cornelius, the Roman soldier. That's not right. That's wrong. The first Gentile is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Just amazes me how I see we get all twisted and contorted about some of these things. I, uh, <laughs> I had a dream years ago, and I, I, I'm not given to dreams, but I had one that night, and I saw Jesus carrying the cross. And he fell. And they grabbed the man at random from the crowd and made him, said so they compelled him, pick that thing up and carry it. I saw that as clear as any movie I've ever seen. But what stunned me is the man that they grabbed from the crowd was black. And I woke up and I got my Bible. And it said they chose a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene, North Africa. If the back of Jesus was as brutalized as it so obviously was, then that cross was covered with his blood. And the first person that rubbed up against the blood on the cross was black, not white not Caucasian. He was black. You read the scripture. It says, Simon of Cyrene was there with his boys, Rufus and Alexander. If you go on in the epistles, Paul refers to them and refers to their mother. And it was just on a fluke one day. And it, this is probable it's not provable, but I'm convinced I'm right. In Acts chapter 13, it says, and there were certain teachers and prophets that were in the church at Antioch in Syria. It names five of them. Paul was there. Barnabas was there. And then it says, Lucius of Cyrene 
and Simeon or Simon. Then there's Manan, who's the half-brother of Herod the Tetrarch. Is it possible that that guy, Simeon, that was called Niger, look familiar? All you got to do is put a G in there. And that's where the bastardized, originated word came from. It means black man. It used to be a river. Black man. Is it possible that that's the guy that carried the cross of Jesus? That ended up on the ministry staff of the church that was called Christians first. They were not called Christians first in Jerusalem because the Jerusalem church is all Jews. Antioch in Syria is the first interracial church in the New Testament. And they were called Christians first there. That's why I started this thing years ago. I wanted a multicultural church. I want somebody from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> that is the will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My wife gave me something amazing this week. My wife is a great student of the Bible. <coughs> when I look at her notes, it's just one scripture after another, one scripture. There's nothing in between. <coughs> Mine will have a scripture in <coughs> three paragraphs. Not Renee. One scripture after another. And she said, let me read you something, Harold, in another translation. It says, it's in the book of Ephesians. Huh? Ephesians 2. Breaking down, what it says in the King James, breaking down the middle wall of partition <coughs> between us. But there was a word, it wasn't animosity. What was that word that you used? There was another one, though. Basically, it was hostility. The answer is not Antifa. The answer is not Black Lives Matter. The purpose of the church is to get rid of the hostility between your brother and your sister. That's the purpose That's why when you read the book of of Revelation, there are seven no mores. Six of them make perfect sense. No more night, no more sickness, no more tears, no more death. But one of them never made any sense to me. It says, there'll be no more sea. John was on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote that. 
surrounded by the Mediterranean. They didn't need guards. They didn't need guns. They didn't need dogs and fences. The currents of the Mediterranean kept those prisoners on that island. And he said, one of these days, nothing's going to separate us. One of these days, nothing's going to come between us. There won't be an eight mile in the New Jerusalem. Won't be no ghetto in heaven. Jesus' name. That's what drives me. Now we have 42 nationalities in this church. And we want all of them. We want all of them. Sophie's mother trying, seeking God to build an Arabic apostolic church. To my knowledge, there isn't one anywhere in the United States. But this is the largest Arabic community outside of the Middle East. If there is a place that absolutely has to have an Arabic apostolic church, it's the Detroit metro area. So we've been praying, seeking God. Sophie's mom and dad invited Mike and I and Renee to a dinner a couple weeks. It was a feast. I mean, it was just a feast. And I don't know how many days they prepared. I was ashamed because I couldn't eat it all. I, I, I just felt like I was being, like I wasn't being grateful if I didn't eat all of it. And it was impossible. There was just plate after plate after plate. And when it was done, Sophie's daddy was playing this kind of like a lute guitar. I'd never heard anyone play one before. Sophie's father is so gifted on so many different instruments. And his mother started telling me their testimony that when they left Iraq for 15 years, they bounced from one country to the next. She said, we couldn't, we weren't allowed to work. We would be taking a job from someone else in that country so they wouldn't let us work. And she said, for 15 years, Pastor, we always had food. We always had clothes. We always had a roof over our head for 15 years. She said, and then we end up here and my children start coming to church. And I looked at Sophie's dad and I said, did you ever think that maybe you're here for a reason? And that precious man sitting back there right now just looked at me and said, I made a fleece before God. And, and I said, did you ever think that we could use, God could help us? Would you be willing to help us build something to reach the Arabic community? And Safi's dad looked at me and I, he said, I put this fleece before God. And I said, what was the fleece? He said, you just answered it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he said I told God I'm going to America but I'm not going to promote myself and I'm not going to tell anybody what I can do. I want you to inspire a pastor to ask me to help to reach the Arabic people. And he said, you, you just said it. I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> 
So Safi's mother starts this, huh? Farah. She starts, is it a website? Huh? Facebook. Reaching out to Arabic women, and it just caught fire and went around the world. Now she has 5,000 women. 5,000 women that are on her Facebook. And she's saying, you must pray for me. I'm not getting much sleep because they're in a different time zone and they're calling, asking me about Jesus. And, it, and it's just, we're flying by the seat of our pants right now, okay? No one's done this before. But it's just, God, help us not to, not to mess this one up. Please, God, help us. There's a, there's a place in the Bible where a woman touched the hem of his garment. Touched the hem of his garment. She could, this is what's fascinating. In Malachi, there's a verse that says, The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. But the word that's translated wings in Malachi is the Hebrew word kanaf, which can be translated wings, but it can also be translated edges or borders of the garment, which says the prophecy is the way you'll be able to know who Messiah is, is there'll be healing in the border of his clothes. I don't know if that woman knew that verse or not, but she grabbed the hem of his garment. That's Matthew 9, and she was healed. But in Matthew 14, this is what it says, and many besought him if they might just touch the hem of his garment, which means she opened up a brand new ministry. No one had ever done it before, but once she did it, that's what we need to have happen right now. We need new ministries birthed. Diana, Diana started doing lessons for children. Nobody asked her to do this. She just started trying to do lessons for children. And she started, she had contact all over the world. And then it got grown and growing. And she said, well, here's what the lesson's going to be about next time. Would you have your child act out this part of the lesson? And, and I'm going to choose a child to be the actor in the next lesson. So moms being moms are like, pit bulls with hand bones, and they want their kids to be the movie star. And so she's got thousands of people that are sending these little videos with their kids. Now she's using videos of kids all over the world to be the, the, the actors in acting out her Bible stories that she's teaching to these kids everywhere. I didn't ask her to do that. She just came up with it all inspired by the Holy Ghost. I, I, that just fascinates me. It's like, God, 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 help us. And it said when he spoke these things, verse 9, he, he's taken up from them. And, 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 and <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so amazing that, that, that angels, angels are stunned at how stupid people are, how, how, how ignorant we are of spiritual realities. They, 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 just, they just are amazed that we're so ignorant. And they said, why are you gazing up into heaven? Like this is some amazing thing. This same Jesus that you've seen leave is coming again in like manner. Can you grab that? Can you, can you get that reality? Because I found 13 places, 13 different words that are used in the New Testament to, to describe 
what's called the ascension. In Acts 1 and 2, it said he was taken up. In Acts 4 and 8, it said he ascended. In Acts, or in Hebrews 4 and 14, it said he passed into the heaven. I won't read all of them to you. But this, this thing about him leaving was a big deal because they saw that. They saw that. And that body that they saw sits on the throne right now. You understand that? That body is the everlasting, the everlasting image of the invisible God. See, see, it's, it's, John said immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one set on the throne. I asked someone one time, I said, what do you think you're going to see when you go to heaven? Which the Bible calls a new Jerusalem. Are you going to see an old man? And then a younger version of that old man who looks like the victim of a tragic farming accident and a bird, a dove. Is that what you think? You're going to see what John saw. One sitting on the throne. It's just, I can't think of a verse that's been more twisted and contorted in Christianity than Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded. Just my question has always been, who's he talking to? And the answer is in verse 16. It says he's talking to the 11 disciples. So if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and it says in verse 13, And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter, one, James, two, John, three, Andrew, four, Philip, five, Thomas, six, Bartholomew, seven, Matthew, eight, James, the son of Alphaeus, nine, Simon, Zelotus, ten, and Judas, the brother of James, eleven. Are those the eleven disciples? Of course they are. This is the same group that he spoke to in Matthew 28 and 19 and told them to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And every time you have a list of the, 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 of the apostles, Peter's always the first one that's mentioned. So if you go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, why then didn't Peter say, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? That's not what he said. He said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a grandfather. That's not my name. The name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Do you know what the name of the Son is? You should know. But Jesus said, I'm coming in my Father's name. And the Bible calls the Holy Ghost Christ in you, the hope of glory. The name is Jesus Christ. That's what's so powerful. Oh, God. And, 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 and when, when all of a sudden you realize that, that, that the body of Christ has been cloned, it's been cloned. See, when Jesus was here, when he was at Jerusalem, the body was limited to Jerusalem. When he was at Nazareth or at the Sea of Galilee, that's where the body of Christ was. But in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, it said, and has put all things under his feet and gave him the behead over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So now he's the head of the body, which is the church. 
I, 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 sometimes I tell a story. I have these friends, Mitchells in Indiana, and when their babe boy, Ryan, second boy, was born, Renee and I were, were there, and they brought him home, and, and we were all, you know, grateful and thankful and saying, man, he looks great. And Sister Mitchell said, look at the size of his head. She thought he had water on the brain, you know, and hydrocephalitis, something like that. And, and so, so she just kept on and on. And I, I said, well, take it back to the doctor. So she took him back to the doctor. And, and so we didn't go with her. She came back, back home. And I said, so what happened? She said, he held him up to the light. I said, what? He said, he took my little baby and he held him up to the light. And, he, and you know, skin's like di- diaphanous. Very, you can almost see through it. You can see the bones and everything. He looked and he, he set that little boy down and he pushed on the bottom of his foot and Ryan's foot went boom and pushed right back. And his eyes got big and he pushed on the other foot and wham, the foot went back. He said, oh, Mrs. Mitchell, you have an exceptional son. She said, I do? She said, he said, coordination doesn't show up for days. Your boy already is kicking back at me. He shouldn't be able, your boy's going to be a great athlete. And she said, look at the size of his head. (laughs) Look how big his head is. And he held him up to the light and he said, Mrs. Mitchell, go home. Your boy's fine. And she said, what do you mean? He said, just wait two weeks. If it's still the same, bring him back to me. But I'm telling you right now, you won't be back in two weeks. And then he said something powerful. He said, I believe your boy's body is healthy. It's not uncommon for the head to be bigger than the body. But if the body is healthy, it will catch up and be in perfect proportion to the head very quickly. And when she said that to me, I had these scriptures going in my head. Because when you, what happens when somebody praises you? They say, you got to be careful you don't get the big head. What happens when we praise the Lord? Head gets bigger. I can prove it to you in the Bible. The Bible said his name is above every name. But this is what Isaiah said. He was high and lifted up. There's high and then there's higher. Did you hear what Draylon said? There's symbols and there's high sounding symbols. Not the same thing. That's why the Bible said, you know, you've got to lift up your head. You've got to lift up your hands. You've got to lift up your voice. Why? Because we're going to lift him. I know he's high all by himself. But we have the ability to put him. Do you know if you study the atmosphere, there's, there's like, you know, stratosphere, ionosphere. On it. There's all these different, these, these slices in that thing. It's, it's like veneer. That's the way it is in the spirit. If, if we don't worship him, he's going to be high. But when we magnify him, he gets lifted into a place. <laughs> Magic, see magic that you got to learn that i mean he you know he needs me like he needs polio he really does it's just but 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 when you think of the ability of the church to literally get beneath the name 
with your body and your words and to literally push that name from one realm to another to where, remember it said they saw Moses and they saw Elijah, wham, they're on their face. When they looked up, said they saw Jesus only. That, 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 that you gotta look up. You know, it's just, there is a place where he shares the stage with nobody. That, 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 that there's no obstacle, no opponent, no foe, no enemy, nothing. Mows them all down. I told the team here this morning, we're the greatest idiots in the world if we think we're going to have church without the Holy Ghost. We are going to accomplish nothing of any lasting value without the power of God. We're totally dependent upon that. <laughs> that we can lift him into an arena and to an area that's just like, woo. <laughs> and that's what, that's what fascinates me with all of this stuff. Jesus, as we praise you, you get a big head. You want the church to grow? The answer is not to brag on the church. The answer is get a big head. If the body of Christ is healthy, it will soon get into perfect proportion with the head. Bigger the head, bigger the body. How big is your Jesus? Don't brag about your church. Don't have preacher religion. How big is your Jesus? That's the secret to a harvest. Oh, God. Oh, God. I just, I, it's just, here, here's Mark, watch. Here, here's Mark 5. Mark 5, he was come out of the ship and immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man. Mark 5 and 2. Here's Luke 8, 26. They arrived at the country of the Gadarenes and he went forth to land and there met him out of the city a certain man. Luke 8, 26, 27. Here's Matthew 8 and 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes or Gadara, there met him two possessed with devils. Mark said there was one. Luke said there was one. Matthew said there's two. I believe there were two. I think all three of them were amazed at what happened to that one. My question, what about the other guy? This tells me two men met the same Jesus. Two men heard the same story. Two men heard the same proclamation. One gets delivered and the other stays damned and chained. I've seen that happen in church all the time. I've seen people come here the same sermon, feel the same Holy Ghost. Some get delivered and some try to beat the Baptist to the cafeteria after church. Hunger. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means every time you open your Holy Ghost wallet, it ought to be empty. Don't ever say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. He said, you don't even know you're poor, blind, miserable, wretched, naked. Watch, watch. It gets fascinating because you, you, you got to study Genesis. Genesis 49 is Jacob blessing the kids. All 12 of the sons are blessed in Genesis 49. Listen to what Jacob said about Gad. 49 and 19. Gad, a troop shall overcome him. 
but he shall overcome at the last. That was the prophecy to Gad. Here's the prophecy to Judah in 49 and 8. Judah, thou art he whom thy brother shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before him. 49.9 calls him the lion of the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you know your, if you know your Old Testament, there's 12 tribes. They came out of Egypt and they went to the east and went across the Arabian Peninsula. And then they started going north. They turned left or they were going west and they were confronted with the Jordan River. If you know your Bible, it says Reuben, Gad, and a half tribe of Manasseh stayed on the other side of Jordan. Nine and a half tribes went in, two and a half stayed on the east side of Jordan. Why? Because they said, this is a great place to raise kids. This is a great place to to, to have farms. Look at these lush fields. They said, the herds, this is a good place for our herds. Read your Bible. They got jealous of their brothers on the other side of Jordan. So they built their own temple. And it says they built an altar and called the altar Ed. Because they didn't want their kids going back to Jerusalem. Stay right here. We don't want you praying at that altar. We'll build our own altars. And they built an alternative religion that led to their downfall. That's why when you read Corinthians, it said there's another Jesus. There's another gospel. There's another spirit. These people buy into that. And when the enemy would come, Assyria would come to invade Canaan, they always came moving to the west. And since Gad is on the far east of Canaan, on the other side of Jordan, Gad is the first piece of real estate that gets attacked. So if you know your Bible, Judah and the other tribes would rally and drive the Assyrians out. Now fast forward it to Matthew 8. It's the land of Gadara. It's Gad. It's the same piece of real estate that years ago people said, this is a great place to have cows. Except I don't find any mention of cows. There's just pigs there and devils there. And, and it stuns me because the prophecy was, God, a troop is going to overtake you. Judah, your brothers are going to run to you and praise you. And your hand will be on the neck of their enemies. And that's exactly what happened. This man, it's not a troop, it's called a legion. There's three kinds of Roman legions. One legion had 2,000 soldiers. One had six. Another one had 12. Let's take the minimum. Let's take 2,000. It's possible. This guy's got 2,000 devils in him. This is what it says. He ran, fell down. And worshipped Jesus. A son of Gad. Did exactly what Jacob said years ago he was going to do. He ran and fell down in front of the lion 
of the tribe of Judah who put his hand on the neck of those things invading his brother and his brother ultimately praised him. Here's my question to you, ladies and gentlemen. If that man could run, fall down and worship Jesus with 2,000 devils in him, what's your excuse? What's holding you back? What's stopping you? That guy overcame 2,000 demons to worship the Lord. If he could do that, It's just, it's just, listen to this, it's just, remember, is it, Henry David Thoreau one time said, two paths converged in the wood, I took the one less traveled, it made all the difference in the world. Do you realize, I, I've never been a heaven or hell preacher, I, I always, I, 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 you know, Jesus has the keys to death and hell, so I said, that's his, it's not my job to send people to hell. My job is to be like Peter to open up doors of revival. I think I've got my hands full just trying to open up doors to Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, all to try and reach people. I, I think we got more than enough work to do there. I know preachers that, that are just delighted to send people to hell. I don't. I, I, see, years ago, you, you used, they, we used to preach people into hell, and they get scared to death and come to an altar. But that doesn't work anymore. You want to know why? Because people live in hell. You got to preach them out of hell. They live in hell. You got to give them some hope. That's what church is all about. But when you think about the teaching of Jesus, he said there is a broad road that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow way that leads to everlasting life. Lady, this is not all original with me, but it's too true anyway, because the value of truth is never diminished because of repetition. I want you to understand that today and tomorrow and the day after that, almost every decision you make is going to be a heaven or hell decision. Now that decision at that moment tomorrow might not take you to hell, but it could be the beginning of a diversion of you taking the wrong exit to go down the broad way that leads to destruction and keeps you away from the narrow way. And that's the way I want us to think. And that's the way I want us to pray. God, help me to make the right choices at the right moments that I don't end up somewhere where I don't have anything to do with. As crude as this may sound, just sometimes the people you hang around with is a heaven or hell decision. The words that you speak are heaven or hell decisions. The actions that we take are heaven or hell decisions. Why? Because they can be the beginning of a chain of a series of events and a series of choices that all of a sudden take us somewhere and you go, how in the name of God did I ever get here? It started months ago when you say, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. And all of a sudden you're giving your, see, I, I don't have to teach you how to be a worshiper. Everybody in this building worships something. I promise you, everybody in this building, my job is not to teach you to worship. My job is to teach you what to worship. Because they said, the Father seeketh such to worship Him. That's what we're trying to do here. 
Some people worship a vehicle. Some people worship a house. Some people worship money. They already know how to do that. My deal is can we venerate the Lord the same way we do a bank account, the same way we do stuff, the same way we do possessions? Watch, watch. I found this verse, John 14, verse 22. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot. <laughs> because if you read the, those 11 disciples in, in the book of Acts, it says, and Judas, the brother of James. There were at least two Judases in, in the dozen, the dirty dozen that Jesus had. One was Judas Iscariot that sold him, but the other is, as you said, Judas, but not, not, the, not the bad one. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus one time, he said, you know, that two people are going to be in the field. One's going to be taken, the, the other's going to be left. It talks about two sons. One was faithful, one was a product. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Two men hung on either side of Jesus on that day at the cross. One, one was spared and the other was damned. Do you know that there's two men here we're dealing with? Judas, this, 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 I even, even the scripture I quoted you a while ago in Acts chapter 13 and Manaean, which was the half brother of the Tetrarch. See, there's four Herods in the Bible. Herod Antipas, Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa the First, Herod Agrippa the Second. Now look at these bozos, okay? Herod, Herod Antipas is the guy that cut John the Baptist's head off. Even though if you read the book of Luke, it said he attended John's services and heard him gladly and did many things that John requested him to do. So he'd been, he, he was deeply moved by John, but he's the guy that, that cut John's head off. Here's Herod the Great, who could have let Jesus go, except for the political pressure. You know, what are the polls saying? Sound familiar? Here's Herod Agrippa I, who killed John's brother James and would have killed Peter, but he got Ebola. And the Bible said, and the worms ate him up. Here's Herod Agrippa II, who had access to Paul while he's in jail, and he could have let Paul go if Paul would have paid him a bribe. So you got these four guys exposed to the four of the greatest ministries in the world. John the Baptist, Jesus, James and John, and the Apostle Paul, and the the best one of them could possibly come up with was, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. But in Acts chapter 13, Manan, who is, read any other trade, he's the half-brother of Herod the Tetrarch. He's the half-brother of the guy that cut John the Baptist's head off. One killed the voice in the wilderness. That's what he's called, the voice. The voice. Cut his head off, we'll shut that voice up. You need to read the book of Matthew, because years later when Herod heard about the ministry of Jesus, he kept sending out these runners and saying, find out what he's doing. And they're coming back and saying, you ain't going to believe this, boss. They said he turned water into wine. And, and they said he resurrected, resurrected some guy's daughter that was dead. And he starts clicking these things. They said that, you know that dude that's always begging down at the temple? That, 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 that he's, he's, he, he did stuff. That, there's blind people that can see. They, 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 they said his name is um, Jesus of Nazareth. Read us in Matthew. Said, no, it isn't. 
It's John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. It's so the guilt over killing that amazing preacher, it stayed with him for the rest of his life. I promise you, it's not just me as a preacher. It's the word of God. It's going to stay with you. You're not going to silence it. It's going to echo and ibid and repeat again and again and again and again. Isn't it amazing that one turns out to be a, 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 a tetrarch that killed a great, great, great missionary and a great prophet, and the other one ended up on the ministry staff in the church at Antioch in Syria, where they were called Christians first. Which, which, which road are you going to choose? Which, which, which path are you going to choose? Are you going to be the one in the field turned around and seeing that rake between the beans and saying, where did the guy go? Are you, are you going to, are you going to be the prodigal? Are you, are you going to be the guy on the other side of the cross that said, ah, man, this is a bunch of hooey. Which, who are you going to be? Because this is, this is what stuns me. Listen, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Watch. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Both. Both. But then he names four places. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Why didn't he say, I want you to do it in all four of these places? Because he's not talking about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. He's saying that there are two things that I want you to do in these four places. And he had just mentioned, I want you to be full of the Holy Ghost, and I want you to witness. I want you to be full of the Spirit, and I want you to tell somebody. Do it in Jerusalem. Don't just be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Holy Ghost and tell somebody in Jerusalem. Be filled with the Holy Ghost and tell somebody in Judea. We're having great prayer meetings here. We really are. And we're great. I wish. No, I don't. Uh, I, the church that I was, I was going to say, I wish you would have been raised in a church I was raised in. I'm, I'm glad you weren't raised in a church that I was raised in. Because we, we had this board that, that, that was up on a platform. Here's. Our attendance today, here's our record attendance. Here's our offering today, here's our record offering. You know, here's what we had today, here's what we had a year ago. When I first became pastor of this church, March of 1988, in the old building down there on Gardenia, Jack Hill was our Sunday school director, magnificent man, faithful. You'll never find a more faithful man Every week, putting up them numbers. And I remember the first Sunday I was here, there were 169 people in church. And for the next three months, it just kept going down and down. Finally, there was 119. Then there was 100. And then there was 90. And then there was 80. And I remember the day walking in to the lobby of that old church, and it said, the attendance today is 69. And I literally grabbed that box and I pulled it out of the drywall and I took it outside and I threw it in the dumpster and after a while Jack Hill said pastor you got any idea what happened to the attendance board I said yeah I threw it in the dumpster he went oh okay never ever rebuked me just took it I found out we got as much money with 69 people as we did 169. And I realized them bums weren't giving me any money. All they do was just criticizing, you know? And we just prayed them out and ran them off. 
It just kept getting smaller and smaller. But in the church where I lived, there it was on the record attendance, 138. I wish you could have known my dad in his prime. He, he just took it. No one asked him. He just knew it had to be done. So he started working with the kids in the Sunday school. I remember the first bus that he ever bought. We had a guy in the church named Paul Forsythe that knew how to paint. And my dad took this nasty, I mean this nasty bus that he bought in Pittsburgh. And he, he painted it silver, had Paul painted silver and then had purple lightning on it. <laughs> purple lightning bolt. It was beautiful. To hillbilly kid, it was like, wow. And every Sunday was hot dogs on the bus. And we go to the tough parts of town, fill that bus. They came for the hot dogs, I know, but Jesus said, compel them to come to the feast. And all of a sudden, the attendance kept going up and up and up and up. And I, I remember when my dad set his sights on that number on that board. And my cousin, Ricky Fox, was a long, bony, skinny boy. And they had these old coveralls that if you were going to get baptized, you had to wear them coveralls. They were horrible. Mill dude. Just terrible. All of a sudden, one day, my cousin, Ricky, my dad says, hey, get up here. And all of a sudden, this lanky guy with them old, musty coveralls and a big plaque around his neck that said, 138. And my dad said, I'm sick and tired of you being in this church. We're going to get rid of you. And the people were in shock. And my dad would look at that board every Sunday. i never forget. He pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And on the last day, my dad hired the chief of police, came up to the front of that church, whoa, 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 whoa. People were shocked. Chief of police walked in there, stern, just pushed old number 138 against the wall. Feed back and spread them. Had him there. Hands behind your back, boy. Locked him all up, grabbed him by a scruff of the neck, said, you're out of here. Let old 138 out. They got the 130. They never tried again. No one ever knew it, but it was me that snuck up there a couple weeks later and I stole them numbers that were on that board. 138 and I threw them in the trash. Couldn't stand to see my dad humiliated. People were like, told you we were never going to do it. Told you it was never going to happen. And all of a sudden I end up here with this amazing group of people. And I talk about you all over where I go. My dad. My dad never cried, never. But he'll cry now and say, Oh, Harold, could you have ever believed that God would permit us to be a part of the great church that we have? crying. I've seen you break every record we've ever had. We've had attendance records. You broke them. 
The first year I was here, the entire income for the church was $99,000. That was the entire income. And I remember our building payment was $3,000 a month. And it was old single-strength glass. And a lot of times the heating bill in the winter was $3,000 a month. There was no money. That's why I traveled. And that was the only way I could stay alive was traveling. And I watched you precious people. All of a sudden that thing goes boom, 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 boom. And we bought the, we built this building. We had less than 100 people and I borrowed 2 million bucks. And you don't borrow 2 million with 100 people. But we, we, we got $2 million. It's all paid off. We don't, we don't owe anybody anything. <laughs> now it frees us to be able to do things locally and globally. We don't ask you. Have you ever been to church where they ask for two offerings? That's never happened. I've been in churches that ask three, sometimes four offerings. Never gonna, we're coming to a day when we're not even going to have offerings in this service. You're just going to do it online. You're so faithful. That's how much I trust you. It's just, it's Sunday. Let's give, it'll just be, that's, that's where we're going with this thing. And it's just, I'm so proud of you. And we, we, we wanted a hundred people in prayer. And that seemed so crazy because it wasn't mandatory. You don't have to come to Monday night prayer. And there used to be 20, then there was 30. But, 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 but now we're past 100. And last Monday, I don't know how many we had. I just know the place was packed and it was full. What are you, what are, what are you saying? We're, we're praying and I'm proud of you. And we're talking in tongues and I'm proud of you. But don't just be full of the Holy Ghost. Do them both. Do them both. Be filled with the Holy Ghost and be a witness. And be a witness. Stand with me. And be a witness. That's, that's what we're after. Look at Judas. You know what the Bible says in John? John says he was a thief and he had the bag. Which means he was, he, he, he was the, the financial secretary of the apostles. Jesus knew. He knew that he had a financial problem. And yet Jesus trusted him with the money, hoping he'd get over that. <laughs> it says that when he committed suicide, he, he hung himself and the rope broke and, and he hit the bottom and splattered all over the bottom. And it said, he purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. See, some people think, well, that's the 30 pieces of silver he got for selling out Jesus. No, 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 no. If you know your Bible, he threw those 30 pieces of silver back at the feet of the high priest. Where did he get the money to buy the dirt from? He's stealing from the purse. He's stealing from the offering. And he bought it. Here's a guy that's with Jesus for over 30 years. And all he has to show for it is a piece of real estate. It said he had a part of the ministry. He just didn't get it all. Fascinates me. Holy Ghost just poured out. Peter stood up and began to preach. Watch. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. It 
got so bad on the third, it said he, he cussed them out. And he said, I blankety, 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 never knew that blankety, blankety, blankety guy from there. I never knew him. Watch. The next day, Jesus is tried and crucified. Day one. The next day, he's in the grave. Day two. Third day, he resurrects. All right? Read Acts chapter one. He showed himself alive for 40 days after his passion which is after his resurrection. So now I have 43 days accounted for. He said, go to Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. If you know your Old Testament, there's 50 days between first fruits and the day of Pentecost. Jesus is known as first fruits in Corinthians. It's resurrection. So 40 days after he resurrected, he taught them. You with me? And then he left. So how long did they pray at Jerusalem? 10 days. Why? When the day of Pentecost was full. There's got to be 50 days here. Watch. He curses Jesus. Day one, he's crucified. Day two, he's buried. Day three, he's resurrected. For the next 40 days, he teaches. We've got 43 days accounted for. They go to Jerusalem and pray for 10, 53 days accounted for. The next day, Peter's filled with the Holy Ghost. And stands up and begins to preach with amazing anointing. Which tells me, less than two months after he cursed Jesus, he was restored and was used as this powerful voice to reach this amazing crowd. Who are you here today that think you've crossed the line, that you can never go back across, that you've done something so terrible and so horrible that God would never use you again? You just got to look at Simon Peter. This guy cursed Jesus publicly, and yet 54 days later, God delivered him, filled him with his spirit, and used him to be an amazing mouthpiece. That's what's going to happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear what they sang here just before I preached? These people didn't know when the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out. They're just there tarrying, right? Tarry. The word tarry means wait. Watch. Let me give you something, then when we'll pray. The last verse of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and I don't, I don't know what the last, 52, something like that. The last verse of the book of Luke says they were continually, watch. Here's John 7, 39. It says, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, right? We know he had to leave before he was glorified, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's it. It doesn't take you any further. All four gospels end with the resurrection of Jesus, right? John 7, 39 said, Holy Ghost couldn't be poured out until after he resurrected and left or was glorified. So in the last verse of the book of Luke, this is what it says. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God before the Holy Ghost was ever poured out. They didn't just go there and order Domino's and get 118 Cokes and two Diet Pepsis. They are continually praising and worshiping God because Solomon's porch is the only place in ancient Jerusalem that could hold a crowd of 3,000. Forget that upper room thing. That's all balderdash. Listen to me. That Solomon's porch is the headquarter of the New Testament church. And what's so amazing to me is this, is, this, is this process 
that, 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 that is there and that is in place. My God, have mercy. The praise always precedes the glory. Walk around Jerusalem for seven days and then, then the earthquake's going to come. Praise Him for ten days. Then the Holy Ghost is poured out. We want the Holy Ghost and then we want to worship. We need to learn to magnify God before. Can you do it with us now? Come with me around this altar. Put your mask on. Put your mask on. Come on, let's end this. Let's end this service around this altar. Yes. Like our God, there is none more able. Oh, yes. We're serving. We're looking for greater things. No one like our God. There is none more able. Christ our Savior. Glory is. There is no one like our God. Yes, everybody. Everybody in the choir. Everybody is. intimidate Satan. There are nicer buildings than we could ever afford to build that are empty today. We couldn't even afford their stained glass windows, but it's empty today. I've said for years that Satan is terrified of a church that prays, but based on what I see here today in the Word, that's not the only thing that terrifies him. God wants us to pray and witness. Pray and witness. That's the church that terrifies the enemy. That's why this is such a tough message to preach, because Satan goes to church. The bird of the air takes up that seed, Jesus said, before it finds a place to put some root in this thing. Amen. Don't just hear me, feel me. Let's make a covenant right now. We're not just gonna be a praying church, we're gonna be a witnessing church. You wanna know why I talk like this? I got the Holy Ghost. You don't want to know why I'm talking to say, I got the Holy Ghost. I don't want to just have the Holy Ghost in this building. I want to talk about it outside of these walls. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I commission this crowd, Lord, not to just come to this building, but to go forth from this room. I ask you, Lord, amen, to let our mouth have a tongue, a sword, a two-sided sword. Let that word come out of our mouth, Lord, with a power.
morning, Jesus, direct me this week. Direct me this week to somebody that's going to have some hope. Please, God, direct me to somebody that would let me pray for them. Somebody that would receive the word of the Lord in their spirit, God. I know they're out there. They're afraid of corona. They're afraid of a virus. And we fear the Lord most high. That's who I'm afraid of. I, I live, Lord, with an abject fear of you. I don't want to fail you. I don't want to disappoint you. I want you to smile on my life. I want to live a life that...